Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that we talk about entrepreneurship and parenting a whole lot. Today, we get to talk about the overlap of entrepreneurship and parenting. That is, what does it mean to bring an entrepreneurial or innovative spirit into how you approach parenting? And what does it mean if your parenting world is interwoven and layered into the way that you design your business? So today's guest is Amber Anderson, and she's the owner of not just one company, but several companies. And she founded her business after her son, Kaysen, was born. He was born premature in 2013. And after spending weeks with her husband and her son in the NICU, her maternity leave from her high-powered leadership position at this growing tech startup was over, but she wasn't ready to go back to work. On her website, you can see more of her story. She writes, my son couldn't see or hear, and it was time to get back to my desk. I was torn between my desire to be by my son's side and the fact that I was the breadwinner for my family. So I decided to create a new reality for myself and my family. Her business, one of them, is called More, and she's also got a podcast called The New More, and it's a community that helps working parents enjoy both family-like life and work. And we'll talk about it on the show, but she started things like a conference that is designed for working families so that you can bring your kid along and there's places for them to be and you can integrate family and business because she didn't see very many models of how people were doing this successfully. She used these skills to create companies that allow businesses and business owners to create amazing products and amazing services, but also create space for family and life outside of work. And this is the philosophy of the new more. Also on this episode, you'll hear us talk about how entrepreneurship as a path can be such a source of creativity and innovation, but it's not yet equally available to everybody. And as her research has shown, there's a reason why it's not yet as egalitarian and an open meritocracy as we would hope that it is. She did some work with the Kaufman Foundation, and in the research that they found, she and her partner in her business... They discovered that women's entrepreneurship paths aren't all equal. So we're going to get into all of this on the show, and I cannot wait for you to meet our guest. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This podcast is sponsored by Meet Edgar, a social media scheduling tool. With Edgar, you only have to create content once and he does the hard work for you, making your content go further. As a busy parent and an entrepreneur, I don't have 10 hours a week to do social media scheduling. Who has 10 hours a week for that? To try it out for two weeks for free, go to ed.gr slash startup pregnant and get access to a free trial. You will be in love with them as soon as you realize just exactly what Edgar does for you. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. All right, everybody, I have Amber Anderson here with us today, and I'm so excited to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Amber. Thank you, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. 
So I want to start with my favorite question right now. And that is, can you tell us about today's morning? Not your (laughs) mythical morning routine, but just today. What time did you wake up? What was your morning like? Yeah, I mean, so I'm an early bird. So I woke up about 4.30 this morning, which is where I get the best work done. So I'm usually at 4.30 to 6.30, heads down, creative. And then at 6.30, my little bugger wakes up or I have to wake him up with force. And today my husband actually stayed home. So he had the opportunity to get my bug up, got him breakfast, and then we took our car in to get fixed. Like that's the sexiest thing that I did today. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, work, bugger, breakfast, car. Car. Car's yeah. in. That's you life. got home. And now yeah. what does the day look like? So once we got home, then I went back to work. I wanted to prepare for a couple of things before we jumped on the call. And then my son is getting ready to take a nap. So I'll work through that. And then we're going to dip out and start getting prepared. His birthday's on Saturday. So we've got this whole surprise birthday party thing coming up for our four-year-old, our superhero-themed birthday party. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. 4.30, that's, I would say that's on the early side, just, you know, from a casual observation. What kind of work (laughs) do you do? What? Just casually. Just casual observation. 4.30 is kind of early. It's crazy early. It is. It is. It's just, I'll just put it on the early side. So, but what do you work on in the mornings? And now I'm really curious about this. How do you set that up? Do you set something out the night before? And what kind of projects do you work on? Yeah. So I have a couple of companies. So one is a strategy company where I consult and work with other clients. So we do product strategy, marketing, and management. Um, And so I have a client that I'm kind of uh, thinking through what is it that we want to do to launch 30 product. And so I spend most of my early morning time on that space where I just have kind of freedom to think. And then we also are, my husband and I own a company called More where we create uh, spaces where working parents can go with their kids to learn and grow and um, just socialize with other parents uh, that work as well. And so again, at 4.30, that's usually where I'm doing like some of my podcast work because I have a podcast or I'll write some blogs for more. Uh, And then I also do some writing for other uh, publications. And so again, that's like kind of the space that I'll use where nobody can bother me and I can kind of just think through it. So today I did a chunk of my strategy work and then I also did some writing. Hmm. So a couple of companies. I find this fascinating. You're not the first person I've run across who wakes up early or has a couple of companies, but I it's so interesting to me. How did you end up starting different companies? Where did that come from? Yeah, so my background's actually in tech. So tech strategy, tech product management. And I used to work uh, first in corporate and I tried to quit my job. My husband will say probably five or six times. Like I was like, I'm going to quit. And then I'd come back and then I'd quit and then I'd come back. Um, And then finally, I decided that I was actually going to go out and do my own thing. And what I did was I started a company to focus on creating um, spaces where we could help small, medium-sized companies actually launch products. And so that's what I've been doing for the last six years. That's the strategy company. But then what happened a year into it is I was consulting with a tech startup um, and I'd gone on board to really help them uh, full time. um, And I got pregnant intentionally. And then as I was working through it, I just really struggled through my pregnancy. I started having contractions at 17 weeks. And then at 31 weeks pregnant, my water broke. And I ended up delivering my son the next day. 
So I had the strategy company that was up and running and I had clients I had to maintain. And then I had a preemie baby who was, we ended up spending three weeks in the NICU and then came home. Um, that really kind of started my journey into the second company, which was being able to create spaces where work, women didn't have to choose between their families and their careers because a lot of women like me had to work. And so when the option came up of me having to leave my baby or having to work, I decided that I wasn't going to do either. Uh, and that's how I got into the second space. Wow. First of all, having such a young baby is is just I'm, you know, I'm at a loss for words right now. And then this decision that you're faced with of how do you figure out this navigation where the typical culture says you're going to do one or the other? You know, how do you yeah. work and but not leave your kid? And you made this choice that said, well, I'm not going to make that choice. It's going to look different for me. Can you take us through how you articulate that and how you make it a reality? Yeah. Um, so I think it goes back to kind of when we were in the NICU, my husband and I were really fortunate that we waited a long time to have kids. We dated for nine years. And then when we got married, it was three years after. So 12 years before we had our son. And I'm a strategist. And I started to think about what if I planned this better? Like everyone that I knew in my family had just kind of had children. They were like, oh, you know, we're ready for a baby. And they do it, but they didn't really think about how were they going to create different environments for themselves and their family? Like, and what would that look like after the baby came? And I was really kind of interested in that. Um, so we started talking about, well, what are we going to do after he comes? And the decision was that my husband would stay home. I was the breadwinner. I enjoyed my career. I was good at it. And I was more interested in pursuing the latter than he was. And so the plan all along was for Kai to be there. And I would go home and I'd pump and then I'd see them in the evenings. But when my son Kason came and he was early, the reality was very different. And for the first time, I realized that things don't work the way we planned. And when they don't, this is when all that other stuff comes into play. And how I started to uh, for the first time, really believe that it wasn't about just women being there, but like I, wa I wanted to be there. I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted to hold him. Um, and I wasn't going to give that up. So thank God we had planned and saved some money. So Kai was able to stay off for four months um, completely. And it was just him, Kaysen and I in our house staring at each other. And that gave me a little bit more space to kind of get my head together and work while Kai was there and I was there. But after that, that's when I made the decision that I was not going to go back uh, to working in, an, in the startup environment directly, but would only take on clients when I chose to. And we were lucky to have the flexibility to do that, both financially and also because I had Kai's support. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I got there. And it, it really just changed my perspective on the narrative of what we're saying to women in the work environment. Because a lot of what I was hearing was that we do have to choose and that we should continue to push and we should go back and not give up that 12 years I had spent working my way up the ladder and earning the rights to my success, right? But when it came down to it, honestly, I, I didn't care. I, I, I wasn't going to leave my baby for a project. My baby was the best thing that ever happened. And I wanted to make sure that he got the energy he needed to survive. And that's where my energy went. What you said in the middle there was so fascinating. The stories that we're telling women are, you realize that they just weren't, they weren't working, right? It's such a yeah. limited narrative. 
How did that break open for you? And, and how have you seen that play out in other ways? Are there other narratives that you see our culture telling women about what work should look like and what parenting should look like that you think are either inaccurate or not helpful? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we're finding is, and I did, is that we because we're telling women this very narrow narrative, women are trying to fit into that mold, right? We're going back to work after six weeks or even after three months. And we label it as things like mom guilt and we we shouldn't have mom guilt. But the reality is, I think behind the scenes, women are legitimately not comfortable sometimes and just really trying to muscle through that are suffering in other ways. So for example, when we started to dig in at the work we're doing at Moore, we found that one out of seven women are struggling with postpartum depression, most cases in silence, because we're kind of putting too much on our plate. um, And it adds another element of stress. And even with all the support I had, I really struggled with postpartum depression and nobody would have ever known it because I continued to run my business. I continued to service my clients. But behind the scenes, it was like a walking zombie and I cried all the time. Um, And I decided at some point that I was going to be honest about that. And that's when I noticed that more women were coming out and saying that they were struggling too. So that's one area where I've noticed is that when we do push women either to go back to work early um, or just to say, keep going or continue to hustle after having a baby is a lot of work. We're pushing them sometimes into a corner of of depression that we don't even know we're doing. um, And that's having an impact on some of our experiences as mothers, but also as employees. And in some cases, a lot of times women end up giving up or they leave. Um, So that's one area. The other area was, again, that narrative that like, I have to work, I shouldn't give up my career, I should continue to push. And what we found is, actually, 56% of women would love to be home with their kids. There's not this either or one, but also to assume that women don't want to be present is misinformed, right? Women both with master's degrees, all the way down to women living in poverty, some cases want to genuinely be home with their newborns or be home with their toddlers. Um, And by not allowing us to have that conversation or creating the spaces for us to be able to do that, uh, we're kind of making it uh, difficult, you know, for women to be able to feel confident and comfortable. The women that want that experience are kind of being robbed. And, the, and that's something we found too. And this 56% of women that want to be home, is it home forever, like stay at home mom? Or is it home during that early period? Is there a definition there? Yeah. So the statistic, I think it was Gallup, was children under the age of 18. So they didn't specify how young. And certainly, I think if you were able to dig into it, it's much easier to say, you know, when kids aren't in school, that's probably where it's a lot rougher um, and women are home. Um, but that is the the statistic that we had on track um, was just so generic. It was just children under the age of 18. Hmm. Did they have anything for partners or husbands or co-parents or was this just for women? That's the thing. So there is some statistics around men actually feeling the same way. Certainly when you start to get to millennials, um, that 50% of men are also struggling with work-life balance, but they don't spend a lot of time researching it. Um, it was hard to find data on where are the, where's the true burden and what do parents want at that level. So yes, men do want it too, um, but the data wasn't really readily available. And it's so interesting too, because we look at these studies of parents and then 
And then to me, it begs the question of like, well, what about the the larger population? Is this true just for parents? Or is this also like systemic or endemic? Is this something where all of us are actually like, wait a second, work has become 24 seven 365. And no one's breathing anymore. This is actually a huge problem. God, it makes me think of so many questions. But for you in particular, so you have you have this young one, you end up wanting more time at home than you had anticipated. You took a very strategic and planful approach based on your background. That makes a lot of sense. And it ended up catapulting this company called More. Can you tell us about More and what it means to you and, and what you do as a company? Yeah. So what we did at More was we started to say, what would life look like if we didn't separate out family? What would it look like if we actually thought about the people that were attending the events and created the events around them? And the first thing that we did was a business conference um, because we recognized that a large portion of women were starting to start businesses. Um, and when talking to some conference organizers, they recognized that when you put women in a position where they had to choose between either their family or plus one, majority of the time women would decline, whereas men uh, were more likely to accept an opportunity if it was just them. And so we created a retreat that was a business conference designed for families. So we had childcare on site. Um, we held all of the different sessions that we would have in a traditional grow your business type of conference. Um, but then we also integrated it with sessions that talked about how to plan for your family or um, how to talk to your spouse about work. Um, because what we recognized was women were struggling to have conversations with their spouses and it was creating conflict within their relationships and making it difficult for them to move forward. So addressing those needs by taking into account business, family, and having the opportunity to bring their kids with them um, just opened our eyes to the fact that women were really craving kind of this new experience. And that by giving you access to all of these different nuances of who you were and what your challenges were, it was really going to help us move forward as business owners, but also just as people and parents. And that's what we did. So we started with the conference. Um, and then from there, we started to take on some other elements like networking and looking at happy hours, for example, and thinking about how hard it is to ask someone on a Friday at 530 who hasn't been with their kids all week to go out for a happy hour and how people were kind of ditching out of that stuff. And as a result, losing out on opportunities because majority of our business networks were coming from our experiences to be social. Um, and so we then created an experience called Milk Bear Wine which is a family-friendly happy hour. And we run out of children's museum and we have nannies on site. And again, it's just kind of creates this environment where kids become part of the norm and you see humans. Um, and then you start to have human conversations that just happens to lead to business opportunities. Uh, and so that's where it all started for us was just actually creating the physical space and kind of taking away the stigma of separating out the family. Mm, I love this, creating events that actually work for families. I want to go back to, to that thing you said where when you create events and conferences, men will say yes more and women will decline to the standard conference because because I know so many conference organizers who will tell me behind the scenes, they'll say, well, you know, I reached out to 10 men speakers and I reached out to 10 women speakers and all the women said no and all the men said yes. And now we have only men on stage. And, <laughs> and they kind of shrug a little bit. And they're like, well, I tried. Like I tried to get equal representation. 
And first of all, I don't think that's enough, but I also think there's this gap in understanding which you're you're getting at, which is that's not a good enough offer, frankly. And right. can you talk about like why it's so challenging for women say to go to a big conference and and maybe also like what can conference organizers do better in order to make the offer to come speak on stage more attractive? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when we think about women and in particular, we should keep into consideration all women are not created equal, right? So exactly. Exactly. that's probably the first thing, just like all men aren't created equal, but maybe they have a little bit more flexibility, just women in general, it depends on your demographic. And so as an organizer, really understanding what your goals and accomplishments are and giving people what they need based off of who they are and what it's going to attract them, I think is a really great place to start. You know, if you're looking for women that have children, which is the case of more, um, or women that are in the our our age group is about 25 to 45. So you know if you don't have kids, they're going to be start to be interested into children, uh, into having children. Is just that we have priorities that are greater than just this particular event. And in some cases, where the speaker that you're asking to come is already traveling or is already busy, asking them to ditch out for another two to three days sometimes can be just a little bit too much too much for them. They're going to miss their kids, but also it can be a burden for their partner. And so being creative about the way that you offer these opportunities um, really helps. In the case of more, it was, hey, I mean, bring your family along, make it an extended vacation. Um, It's not going to take up too much of your time. You'll be able to be speaking at this particular time, but the venue, the city, there's so much that can be done um, to make this a well-rounded event. That's one great way. And on the attendee side, which is what we were really looking at, it's kind of the same concept. It's just really, you have all these amazing booths. What if you had like a booth that was a family lounge or there were activities that ran in parallel that supported the spouse that came along or the kids? Being able to be creative about those kinds of things really start to open up people's perspectives and make them feel like this is something I can be engaged in without it being an extra burden that they have to deal with. Mm. I think this is so smart and so interesting and, and like such a a great place to start. And I love how you corrected me too about it's not women period as a as a bucket, but how do you make it more amenable to lots of different types of experiences to parents to single parents to people who have kids, p- people who don't have kids to introverts to extroverts to people who have maybe a lot of disposable income and not as much disposable income. So while we're on the subject of your entrepreneurship journey and the the entrepreneurship side of things, I'd love to ask you about your wisdom that you've learned from some of the research that you've done about uh, female entrepreneurship. Because I know the first time that we met and we talked about women's entrepreneurship, I said something, I remember I said something on the phone to you. I was like, oh, it's so awesome to be a woman entrepreneur. (laughs) Like women's rates of entrepreneurship are rising. It's basically like the Wild West in the best way for women. And you said, well, well, Sarah, not for all women. Like that's right. You told me this. So can you tell me a bit about like how both the good and the bad, like what's great about women's entrepreneurship, but then also what are we missing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when we were talking, it was, it, it is exciting, right? So entrepreneurship is awesome. And um, it's also very stressful and it can be 
rewarding, but also detrimental. And there's so many things that you go through. But what I noticed, I'm an African-American woman. And so this this intersection of pregnancy and motherhood and entrepreneurship really was an eye-opening experience for me. Because going back to my pregnancy, my son, when I was pregnant and working um, and realized that there was a lot going on outside, like for example, um, Trayvon Martin had been murdered and George Zimmerman had just been released. And I'm like six months pregnant. Um, and found not guilty, it was really interesting to see how the world reacted to that and the different things that happened after. We then had the Black Lives Matter movement and um, we had Donald Trump running for president. And I started for the first time to really see how race was playing a role in my decision making and how it played a role in me as a mother. Uh, And going into work for myself was a decision that I made actually for my family. It was a decision to allow me to have time to be with my son because I was starting to realize that, sure, project work was great, but what was going on in the environment was scarier. And um, from a strategist perspective, as well as a business perspective, usually what you do as a CEO is you say, the most important things that need my time that really are painful or struggling in my company, that's where I'm going to put my energy. And I recognized really quickly that it was the, it was the direction I wanted my son to go in. I didn't feel like the support system was there for me to be able to let him just live the life like everyone else did. So we decided that in order for us to make sure he was on the right path and had the right nurturing and the right experiences, we would have to create that. And entrepreneurship was the only way for us to create that. And when we started to do research, we realized that African-American women tend to lean towards entrepreneurship for the same reasons. So where some other women are going out and they're doing it because they have great ideas, there's the difference of um, the necessity entrepreneur who are doing it because this is really a means to an end. This is something that they have to do. Uh, And that brings on a totally different level of stress, pressure, but also it's just a different way of thinking, right? Uh, It's not about necessarily just being creative and changing the world. It's more about survival. Uh, And that is a big thing. So race plays a huge role in entrepreneurship. Uh, And then when you add on the elements of motherhood um, and what that means financially for women, when you add on marriage, there's lots of different factors that help influence people's ability to move forward. And that's when we started to get really interested and did some work um, to kind of learn that through more. What an interesting area of research. And I'm, I'm, I want to follow up with this phrase that you said, like we, it was, it was a necessity and you had to do it. What does that mean? Like, why did it feel like, or why did you have to follow and pursue entrepreneurship? Can you go into that? Yeah, sure. So, so really for me, I think it, it does stem from this moment of I'm sitting in a conference room. I'm in tech. Right. So I'm in a conference room. Usually there's mostly men around me. Um, and we're talking about the verdict of George Zimmerman, if you can go back to this with me. Mm-hmm. And someone says, you know, I'm surprised he got off. And then he walks away. Now, this is an Indian guy. And then the white guy in the room says, yeah, me too. And then he goes back to his computer and I am touching my belly and I'm thinking, what did I do? What did I do? that I could bring a child into this world and he can be murdered and nobody cares. They go around and do their day. How could I have made this decision? I feel like I've made a mistake. Um, And from that moment on, I started to think about 
what were the experiences that my son was going to go through? Because it looked totally different than what I thought it was going to be after that moment in time. And we did actually pull up some statistics that helped kind of um, validate those feelings. Like one in three black boys will be in prison if they were born after 2002, if we continue at the rate that we're going today. That's crazy to me. Or the conversations around the school to prison pipeline and how many black kids are getting put into jail from school or being suspended from school. And it just started to really crystallize that maybe there's a bigger um, scenario going on here than I ever anticipated. Uh, And my husband and I, as we're talking through this, I'm pregnant. So it was, again, kind of like, well, this is where we are. You know, there's no turning back now. When he gets here, what are we going to do? And that's when I said, you know, well, I think until we can find an environment where we feel comfortable that my son can walk the streets safely, then we're going to have to be more conscious and aware of where we put him until we can find a school system that we don't feel is going to um, discriminate against him because of the color of his skin or any of those things, right? Then we need to be more creative about the way we educate him. So maybe homeschool. We started to look at everything that was an option to us. And entrepreneurship was one way for us to do that. But those are the types of battles that we were facing through my pregnancy um, that I didn't see my peers having to go through. And it felt incredibly isolating, but it also was really eye-opening and powerful to know that, well, this is the reality and here's how we're going to fix it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, another mother once told me, she was like, motherhood really can make you even more political. And, (laughs) and I think for people who have privilege or have, let's call it the luxury, because sometimes the word privilege no longer has a meaning for some people. It's like hard to hear and know what it means. If you have the luxury of not having to think about something because it just hasn't affected you yet. And then, and then you reach a moment in your life when you do have to think about it. For a lot of people, having a child is that moment where, like, as an example, I had the luxury of not thinking about education systems because the state of our public schools really didn't affect me when I was in my 20s because I was out of the system and I didn't, you know, the things would come up on the ballot and I was like, uh, should I go vote today? You know, right. like, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to admit. And and then you have a child and you're just like, wow, becoming a mother is political because what school are they going to go to and what's the environment like and how does it look and what is it, what happens? Um, and then for you, you have a little brown, a little black. What do you call? What do you say? You call me a little chocolate. Chocolate, chocolate in our family. Yeah, that's a nice word. (laughs) Little chocolate. Everybody loves chocolate, so we say (laughs) everybody loves chocolate. We're chocolate, and then we have vanilla, and we have caramel. He's four, right? So, like, it's how do you digest the information in a way that's not scary? It's just yummy. Yeah. Chocolate is yummy. Uh, so you have a little chocolate boy and you've got to think about like, how is the world going to treat him and address him? And what are the state of our schools and, and where are the schools where you live? And all of that is then influencing the decisions you make about the type of business you run and what you decide as a family. Can you take us through then where you are today? I know that you've talked about this on your podcast, the new more podcast, but share with our listeners, like, what are your thoughts about the future of school for your little boy? Yeah, I mean, so today we've made the decision that 
first of all, my husband and I split time with him. So we don't take him to daycare. We don't put him, we're not planning on putting him in preschool. What we're looking at it as is really truly an entrepreneurship venture. (laughs) So I have him in the morning and my husband has him in the afternoons. He's part of our daily conversations. When we need to do certain things like learn his numbers or something, we go out to activities and we plan on actually homeschooling him. So he's already playing chess. He knows like how to count to 100, like all the different things that he would be learning in a preschool environment we've tried to recreate at home. And what it's done has actually been really awesome because when we were looking at it, we started to think about how valuable it is for him to be part of the experience early on and to really shape an environment that meets his personality because he's a lot like me in my husband's body. And so he's <laughs> strong and um, <laughs> he's strong willed and he's, you know, we won't call it bossy, passionate, you know. And so in some cases, people might look that look at that as a negative. When I was growing up, people looked at it sometimes as a negative. And what we want to do is create a space where he's confident in himself enough so that he knows how to tailor his personality to do good and to be great. And if someone does try and knock him down for those personality traits, he knows that he's chocolate or whatever it is, right, that makes it okay. And you don't allow that to hit your core. So we're planning on homeschooling. We're also very well intertwined in his day-to-day life and trying to not only for him, but also for us, just kind of embrace these moments. Like we were in the NICU for three weeks. We thought he was going to die. So we feel like every single moment is important to us and we want to be there for that. Oh, I now, of course, we could talk for hours and hours because I want to ask you all about homeschooling and and socialization <laughs> and and like what that looks like. And I guess my next question is, is going to be, how has this journey into parenting and, as you said, treating almost treating parenting like a third entrepreneurship project in some ways, how has that changed how you show up in business and in life in general? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that one of the big things is just kind of stepping back and not looking at life in compartments. So I don't look at it like this is my work day and this is my child day and this is my day. I really look at it like what's the goals that we're trying to accomplish? What's my goals in life? What's our family goals? And what gets us there? It's been really helpful on the business front because I've been a lot more selective of the type of clients that I take on. Number one, because frankly, I don't have time to deal with anymore. It's kind of like, do you know what I mean? It's like, well, I don't have time. I literally, first of all, I don't have time. But second of all, you're not worth my energy, right? And so it it helps me think about where I put my energy and who I give my energy to because I know that it's valuable, right? And so that's been really helpful. It also has allowed me to find this new element of creative freedom. Like I would have never created more. I was in a tech startup, right? Like data analytics, But what I realized is that sometimes things don't exist and they don't always have to be this shiny object. It could just be a community are seeking. And, and that's really what more is. It's a, a, I'm not an event planner, but it's an event-based business where we bring people together. So community events and people, that's really all it is. And I find so much joy in being able to do that simply because I believe in it. Mm. Whereas before I was working on projects because I was told to, you know, so finding my creative passion and being able to put energy into the things that I care about has been really big lessons. And then the other big lesson we learned 
uh, as we were doing some research with more is just how many strong businesses are actually family-based businesses. It's like 35% of Fortune 500 companies and the most powerful businesses in the world are really foundationally run by families like Walmart and Johnson & Johnson. All these companies are based off of somebody's grandma, 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 grandpa <laughs> that built this business, right? And then their children are essentially living off of their business. So in this world full of startups, I started to realize that the startup isn't really what's sexy. What's sexy is when you can have a fifth generation business, because that's where you start to see true wealth, you start to see real power, and you start to see flexibility. And that's where we started to think about business very, very differently and wanted to create that for ourselves. So having Kaysen, my son, involved is part of the plan so that when we go on, uh, he's part of the business. Even my strategy company is named after him. Uh, and so whether he decides to be a consultant or not, he should know how to run a business and he should know that there's some foundational elements that his dad and his mom created just for him. Hmm this idea of like weaving the lives together or realizing that it is all one, it's not these separate compartments is so incredible to me. And, and I want to, I, I almost want to ask you some advice in some ways, because I have a question that's not quite finished yet. And so maybe you can help me <laughs> think this out. Um, sure. So it's the other day, a friend of mine was asking, she was like, what are you indexing for? Like what, when we're, we're recording this interview in December of 2017. And so we're looking towards 2018 and I was expressing like my deep desires to do more things like have these conversations with women and bring community together and to be writing because writing just feeds my soul. And she's like, I never hear you talk about money. Like I never hear you mm -hmm. talk about money. The only time I hear you talk about money is when you're evaluating on some crazy metric, like whether or not your business was successful. And I was like, yeah, like when I go over into the business lane, I always evaluate it based on like downloads and money and like numbers. But when I think <laughs> about like life, it's like, did I spend time with my family? Like, are we, are we learning awesome stuff? Are we writing about important things? Are we bringing people together? So it's more, I guess I'm just responding to your idea of like, bringing these separate channels back together because here's here's the half-baked question right and maybe you can <laughs> take it with you do you ever find that the way that we judge business or the way that we evaluate success is is limited or like doesn't even begin to comprehend the fullness of life oh yeah absolutely like i can't remember um, where I heard it, but I was listening to a podcast episode and a woman was talking about how women shouldn't feel bad if they miss their children's first step. And so how there was this notion that, you know, it's okay to go on that business trip, right? It's totally fine. Your baby will be fine. There are going to be more steps. And I can relate to that. But then I get taken back to that moment when we're sitting in the NICU and a baby died and my husband and I shut the door and we felt for that mother who would have given anything in the world to be there for her baby to take that first step. And we remember that that woman's message gets lost sometimes when we have conversations about the bigger scheme of things in life and where we spend our time. And so we know that we can't be there all the time. It's impossible, right? But what we tried to do was remember what really, really matters if we were that woman or if Kaysen wouldn't have started breathing again or if something didn't go right. And that's what kind of drives us. 
And I think that's a really good thing for some of us that haven't had the opportunity to experience pain or loss yet to kind of remember in the back of our minds that it's not always promised. And so when we're looking for what is it that we want out of life, we should probably be thinking about what really matters and focusing our energy on getting that all the time like every day. And in some cases, that means that I have to work in order for me to get there. I get it. But that work and the money that I make from it should be funneled into something that brings me closer to that joy, whatever that joy looks like for you. Hmm. Oh, that image of like the baby's first steps. The thing that comes to mind for me is like, it's okay to miss your business's first steps. Right. Like- well, but you know, we never say it like we never say that in the conversation of women and work. It's always this notion of it's okay to keep going forward. And in some cases we have to, right? Like I have to get this startup going so that I can afford to give you food tomorrow, right? Like we we understand and should be sympathetic to those situations happening, but that can't be the norm. Mm-hmm. And then what you're doing is so is so interesting to me. You're saying, well, let's turn this all on its head. Like, how do we bring business home? How do we integrate our son into this world? How do we make entrepreneurship fit inside of parenting and parenting fit inside of entrepreneurship so that it's all part and parcel? Can you take us into like what what does a week look like for you, the three of you and your family systems and structures? Yeah. So, I mean, so we usually, our life is crazy. So I think I've said this before, so I do not have it figured out. So I'm going to tell you what we're working through. And part of more is to try and help make life easier for us. But our life is crazy at this point. But my husband um, and I usually start, I start my day about 4.30. He gets up at 6. I wake Kason up at 6.30. We do breakfast. Um, We play chess because he's into chess now. He also likes football, like he likes everything. So whatever he picks for the day, we'll do. And then we'll usually do in the morning some learning center activities. So we'll read, we'll write, we'll get out, we'll ride a bike. Um, And then we switch after lunch. My husband takes him and I go to work. Um, And when I'm at work, I'm usually in my home office or I'm working on trying to create a co-working with kids space. So how could I create a space where I could actually have him participating in activities and I'd be in a different room? So that's kind of the big project we're working on, which we've created here at home. So he's doing whatever activities they do with Uh, each other, either going to story time or riding a bike. And then usually about six o'clock, I'll cut it off and I will go down and we'll have dinner together and then do our, just like everybody else, you know, bed, bath, book, and put that little bugger to sleep. Hmm. And (laughs) by the time the book's done, we're both probably closing our eyes. And if we get a little bit of time together, we'll sit up and have a conversation, Kai and I. And then we do the whole thing over again, Monday through Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday is our family day. So those are the days where we make breakfast together and we go to the park together and we really try to do things as a collective without having work get in the way. Mm. Oh, I think this is so interesting. I get so curious about how people set up their lives and and what it looks like on the day to day because there is no normal anymore, it feels like. It feels like we're all making up different ways of making it work. And then also, just like you said, which I appreciate so much, of like, well, I don't have it figured out. It's like, yeah, I'm <laughs> raising my hand over here. Like, I don't have it figured out. Like, welcome to the club. This is normal. So uh, one of my favorite questions to ask people in in doing some myth busting about this, you know, this mythological perfect woman who does everything 
what don't you do? Like what, what do you deliberately choose not to do? And are there whole sections or areas or specific choices you make about your life where you're like, nope, I'm not going to do these things? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd say laundry is what I'm really terrible at. So if I could get, um, if I can get like a whole month gone with, I like, I probably do laundry once a month. I just buy enough <laughs> so that I don't have to do it. Right. Cause it's just, I don't have the time for that. Are you the kind of person that like buys more underwear from yes. Amazon? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I know I need to do laundry cause I'm out of underwear. It's yeah. like, ugh. I can't stretch like, you know, like there's not one more pair I'm searching for in the drawer and I can't find it. Then it's like, okay, today, like right this moment, all the laundry needs to go in. So I'm terrible at that. And then I really am trying hard to pick the things that I'm good at and, and, and outsource the other stuff. So in the case of like designing, I'm not good at that. So I have a team that manages that kind of stuff. And, um, I'm terrible at cleaning the bathrooms, like just stuff like that, that it's just, it really isn't something that I'm, I'm going to be good at. And if I can find a way to have someone else support me in those things, then I can keep some of my, my time for the creative stuff is, is really the area I'm at. Right I now. love that. So I, I ask all, a lot of women this question because I think when you hear, when you hear other people say like, Oh no, I don't cook or like, I don't do, I don't clean the bathroom or I don't do this. <laughs> it's just so freeing and liberating. Because you realize that like this, we collapse everybody else together into one amorphous, strange, perfect alien human being. <laughs> and yep. that's not true. Like we're all just making it up and not doing everything. And uh, I, I am so grateful that I get to have you on this show. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours. And then also I know that you've been up since 4.30 a.m. So <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for always kindly teaching me, right? It's, I was going to say calling out, but you always teach me something when we get on the phone. You're like, well, Sarah, why don't you think about it this way? And I just so appreciate and admire that. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the platform to talk about my life. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> tell everybody who's listening, where can we find you? Where can we listen to your podcast? Tell us what your social handles are. Yeah. So the best way to find me is probably going to be on more. So the name of our podcast, my husband and I have is called The New More. Uh, it's T-H-E-N-E-W-M-O-R-E. And you can find us at thenewmore.co. So again, T-H-E-N-E-W-M-O-R-E dot C-O. Our social handles are easy. They're just New More Co. Great. And I'll link all of those in the show notes so that people can go find you. And I always tell people you can go find them on the social webs and tell them how great they are because everybody Aww. likes nice things on the internet. We do. We do. Nice <laughs> things only, please. Nice things only, please. That's the rule. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Have a great day. you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit it home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. 
We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on startuppregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.